All right. I'm still taller than you. Oh, I said that into the mic. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. Like, that's incredible. We are, I mean, that's incredible. The one couple, the one nice couple that sat really close, though. Why are you guys way in the back? Yeah. What the heck? You don't think we have feelings? <laughs> There's a spot right up here in the splash zone for you. <laughs> uh, welcome back. Yeah, so our light roast coffee wasn't really feeling the love last night, and I was kind of sad about that. And we have two bags of light roast left, and we leave tomorrow. We fly to Thailand for the rest of the month to work with our coffee farmers. I am not taking this to Thailand, so somebody's going to get this light roast today. So I have two questions because I have two bags of light roast left. So if you're a coffee geek, this is for you. But if you don't like light roast, don't take it. Or if you take it, give it to somebody that appreciates it. Yeah. So what's the, which coffee, light, medium, or dark, has the most caffeine? Light roast. <laughs> yes, light roast has the most caffeine because the longer it roasts, the more caffeine roasts out of it. So there you go. Okay. <clears throat> In a light roast, are you going to taste... Well, actually, how do I want to answer this question? I think we should... What? Oh, okay, yes. Hold your answer. You're so close. You're right on. Thank you. So if you have a light roast or a medium roast or a dark roast, you're going to taste different things. On the front side, the light roast... What are you actually tasting in your coffee in a light roast? What are you going to taste? <laughs> no. <laughs> water, yeah. Not water. I love that. What's your I answer? Love that. <laughs> yes, what are you going to taste more in a light roast versus a medium or a dark roast? Yes, more fruity. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Are you a barista? Okay, come up here. Come up here. My girl. Yes. <laughs> so I want to say that in a light roast, you actually taste origin notes. So, yes, that's where you're going to taste where your coffee's from. So it's going to be often more fruity. It's going to have lots of those origin notes. Medium is definitely going to pull more chocolate or caramel, depending on where it's from. Nutty. Yes. Why dark don't you explain roast, the bag? I will. In okay. a dark roast? No, you stay here. No, you stay Oh, no, here. you need to stay up here. Yeah. Okay, coffee girl, what's your name? Taryn. Taryn. You stay here. Taryn, who's your husband? Yeah, he loves drinking coffee. Yes. Thank you. Okay, but in a dark roast, you're not tasting any origin notes. You're only tasting roaster notes. Not as much. You'll taste some, but you're mostly tasting roasted notes. So now you have a little coffee education. Also, our bag, just so you know, because we're going to Thailand. Thank you, sweet coffee girl, Taryn. Um, our pattern is um, Aka, which is the tribe in Thailand where we source all of our coffee. So our bag is very specific to an Aka Hill tribe pattern. And then the dinosaur is actually, um, was created after a picture of our son, Parker, who went to heaven. And so P-Rex Coffee Company. But this is our Aka Solo. The farmer's name is Laze. His wife is Joy. They are two of our farmers we'll get to be with in Thailand. And... Um, one of the things we say, we're a coffee company with a purpose and a story. Our story is our son, but um, Laze's wife, Joy, has no citizenship, which means she's at a high risk for being trafficked. So that's one of the things that um, we do like to work with our farmers and help them. So that was shameless promotion, yeah. but I did need to get rid of the two bags of coffee. Also, light roast is really wonderful as an iced um, Americano, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Moving we, on. We, Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we want to just thank you for last night. I, mm. I, whether you knew or not, it was the first time since uh, 2021 that we had done any teaching. And so for us, it was incredibly 
I was saying today is going to be lighter, like, <laughs> but it's not going to be. <laughs> no, it was just really a joy uh, to be with you all. Um, we were we were encouraged. We were uh, filled up, uh, and so we're thankful. And thank you to Chris and Sarah for for trusting us um, and for your leadership in this church. And what a what a what a wonderful church family. I think that last night, as you sang, and your voices um, just carried up to the front. I was so encouraged and blessed by that. And so let's uh, open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, if you're able, stand. I just want to set a tone um, by reading this passage. This passage is, I, I just think, so important for, for us as Christians. Uh, so much of the world brings us down. So much of the world attacks our marriages, attacks our families, attacks our churches, attacks what, attacks what we believe. And so Susan and I have begun the process uh, after Parker went to heaven really early on of, of having to fight to elevate our thinking. Uh, and we gathered around the pool that our son drowned in before we left uh, the location we were at an Airbnb. And we read this passage together as a family. And it has become a passage for us that it just helps us kind of lift our heads when our heads are heavy. And so I'm just going to start reading in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then possibly two of the greatest words in all the Bible, but God. We just say that together. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then verse 6 has become a, a verse for us that brings hope and brings perspective. Because God's not bound by time or space. And so listen to what he says about you, Christians. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he will raise you up. He says that you are already raised together with Christ. So as you look to your spouse, either on your right or to your left, you're looking at and in a relationship with a heavenly creature. Isn't that incredible? That should change our perspective. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah. I, some, there's always children in every group, yeah? <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean spiritually a heavenly creature, right? And, and it should change our perspective. It should change the way we treat them. We're heavenly creatures. And it should change the way we interact with our community. We bring heaven, or should, into every situation. We are already raised with Christ. So those that you have lost, you're already raised with them. And for a little while, we don't get to be with them, but we will be with them forever. Father, guide our time this morning. Lord, as we even head out to today, and then we have worship tomorrow, and then we hit Monday. And Monday tends to lower our head, tends to weight us down. God, would you remind each of us through the power of your Holy Spirit of this incredible passage that we are raised together with Christ already. What a miracle that is. God, I, I know when I look in the mirror and I look inside my heart, there's nothing about me that deserves that. And I am so grateful for the but God that came and saved us. Amen. You may be seated. 
So last night, we, we did share a lot of our story, and maybe you were wondering, what does that really have to do with a marriage conference? But I think one of the things that, as we just reflect on our time together last night, is that how important it is to individually continue to pursue, pursue Christ and anchor your life in him, um, because it, that, your personal walk with Jesus, has every impact on your actual marriage, and it is what binds you together as Don pursues Christ and as I pursue Christ. It is the thing that binds us when Jesus is at the center, and when the hard things of life come, and they do to all of us in different ways and at different times, you are truly anchored together in Christ and what that looks like to continue to um, pursue him and live into that. Um, so as we get started today, I just want to tell you, um, last night I said we had been married for 31 years, and then before that we dated three and a half years. Um, Don would come over and spend the night at my older brother's house when I was in middle school. So I've known Don for a really long time. We grew up in the same youth group together. Um, but, you know, I was a quirky middle schooler with braces, and then my brother went off to college, and I got into high school, and I was dating a boy from my high school who was um, really cute and really popular, and he played hockey, and he drove a cool Jeep, but he did not. I drove a 1979 Ford Fairmont station wagon. <laughs> that we always referred to as Poop Brown. <laughs> um, so this boy, though, that I was dating did not love Jesus, and I did. And... Um, Don started offering me rides home from youth group, but we didn't live in the same direction. It was clearly out of his way to take me home from youth group. And then over the weeks, Don began to, you know, spiritually advise me in my relationship that I was unequally yoked in this relationship. And um, I was a sophomore in high school, and Don was a senior. And then one day, um, I think it was on a Sunday, he gave me an ultimatum. He said, you have by this time to either tell him about Jesus or break up with him. And I was like, okay. And so My motives were pure, <laughs> so pure. So I did the really mature 16-year-old girl thing, and I wrote a note to this boy, and I did tell him that our faith didn't align and I was going to pursue Jesus, but I was like a giant chicken, and so I gave him a note to break up with him. Well, I did it on the day that that night Don was going to call me and check in, and that was before cell phones, you know, like when we had to like drag our phone with a long cord down into our bedrooms. Yeah. And so Don calls me that night, and he's like, well... And I said, I broke up with him. He goes, great, do you want to go out on Friday night? <laughs> yes. And so we started dating um, when I was 16. And Don was, you were... It's not important. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> That's right. But I knew very quickly, I knew when I was 16 that I was going to marry Don because he was such, uh, he did have such a heart after the Lord. And I'm so thankful that I, I wouldn't want to walk any of the hard parts of life without you. Yeah. And I'm just, even though we've said this has been a, one of the hardest years of our marriage, um, it really wasn't in danger because Don is my best friend and he relies on the Lord. And so thank you for that. I remember when I knew I was going to marry Susan, we had gone on a missions trip to Portugal with our youth group, and watching Susan interact with the kids, and if you ever see Susan around kids, it's like a, there's an incredible link that she has with children, and I just was like, wow, that, that is one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And so, so right now, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your spouse, just take a few seconds, and say, I, 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 this is what caused me to fall in love with you. We've already done that, so we're just going to stare awkwardly at you guys <laughs> while you do it. Someone up here just said, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> so while you're talking to your spouse, there's, a, there's one more thing we want you to talk to your spouse about. Take a minute and tell your spouse who is your marriage hero. 
think about that. If you have one person in your life that you would look at and go, they are someone I look to in marriage. Who's your marriage hero? And tell your spouse who your marriage hero is and why. All right, so I'm going to tell you who my marriage hero is, and then Donna's going to share his. And I think there's always, it's so important to have people in your life that you always look to um, that are ahead of you in marriage and find the goodness that they offer. And when you get into those spaces when you're like, why did I get married? And do I love you? I'm not sure. It is always good to go, oh, I'm going to look at that marriage hero that I have for whatever reason and think about that. And my marriage hero is actually my dad. And my dad passed away in 2015. But, and I was adopted at age 12. So I had a, I feel like I had a short life with my dad before I got married. Just, um, a few years in the home with my dad, but then my dad passed away when he was 67. So a short season with my dad, and yet I watched him absolutely, without a question, love my mom in the most beautiful and romantic way, always as a kid growing up. He would leave her love notes. We would find them all over the kitchen counter. We still have some of them, because it was like she had a notepad that she would keep notes in, and my dad was always writing notes. He would bring her flowers every week he would bring her flowers he found these special little chocolates and he was always bringing my mom these chocolates and he just was so gentle and so kind and i never heard him ever raise his voice at my mom never he was so humble and gentle and just really doted on my mom and since my dad has passed away my mom lives with us and we realized that I never saw my mom as difficult, and she's not. Like, she is so gracious and kind, but she is a little quirky in some of the things she does, and I never knew it, right? I never saw those things because my dad loved her so beautifully and served her in all of that. So I, I always love to think about my, my dad in his humble service to my mom. When I pastored in Colorado, uh, the associate pastor there was a gentleman by the name of George Hill, and he's older, older than me. He's in his 60s now. And his wife had uh, chronic heart issues, and so she had to have a heart transplant. And she ultimately died a few years back, but I watched him uh, serve her uh, when often things in marriage expectations, uh, you know, life just doesn't often or always meet our expectations. So there were a lot of things because of her health issues that you would expect in a marriage that wasn't a part of their marriage. And I watched him love her and serve her. And I mean, it, it, we'd go on a, like a retreat, like something like this as a church group or even as a staff. And for them, it was a significant challenge. Uh, she had a lot of medical equipment she had to take with and it just was difficult and I, I watched him serve her and never complain, and uh, ultimately the Lord took her home, and he is, uh, God gave him another wife, and he's remarried now, but he's just one of my heroes. It's like, not glamorous, most people don't know who he is, but he's one of those heavenly heroes, and I encourage you to, to have heroes, and to pick those heroes really, really carefully, um, and so yeah, but we're going to talk a little bit about the lens of marriage and expectations. Yeah, and so you've come here today, and I think every couple, when they get married, they step into marriage, and they look at it through a certain lens. And that lens is determined by maybe 
what did your childhood look like? What lens were your parents? Were you raised by Christian parents? Were you raised by non-Christian parents? Do you have divorce, history of divorce? Were you raised by a single parent? Did you, were you raised by an angry father or an abusive parent? And so we all step into marriage looking at it through a lens from what we've experienced. We also look at marriage through the lens of what our culture says marriages like we watch sitcoms we watch the hallmark channel and so we begin to create a view of what we think marriage is supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like based on our circumstances and i would i would suspect that every person in this room has a different story of how they stepped into marriage right we all look at it through a different lens i was adopted and then i at almost 12 and my biological parents were divorced, they were alcoholics, they were abusive, I was abused by them, and then I had a godly marriage. But both sets of those marriages impacted what I stepped into marriage expecting and some challenges that we faced early on in marriage based on what I brought into it. And so as you think about that, um, what are some of the lenses or what are some of the things that you've brought into your marriage and have you ever thought about how impactful it is how you manage marriage right like you're going to respond or react a certain way based on your expectations or what you thought was going to happen based on what you experienced. So if you were raised by maybe a single parent, you may not understand necessarily how husbands and wives work together in mutual agreement because you just maybe never saw it modeled or you had an angry parent. And so you don't understand how to be gentle and gracious. And so I think it's super important when we step into marriage at any season, often we spend time talking to our spouse about that lens that has created what our expectation is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about the expectations that we? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that um, is so important to remember is as you look across to your spouse, that yes, they're a heavenly creature, but that you also married a sinner. And, uh, and you are also a sinner. Um, and I, I know that, um, we, I, I think that, we talked about this last night, but the, we can model the gospel as, as Christian uh, marriages so wonderfully. When you know the worst parts of your spouse, you, you know all of the, the bad, you know that they have this issue or that issue or this struggle, and you still wake up in the morning and go, I'm gonna love you. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna love you. Not because you complete me, or not because of some like, you know, f fantasy island kind of Disney, you know, romantic idea, but because it's like, no, because I love you, because I'm choosing to love you. Uh, because no matter what your background is, no matter what your expectations are, if you are a Christian, you have been loved wonderfully and and god chose to love you and i think that's just so beautiful we talked about this passage last night and i know it's a, it's such a key passage in our christian walk romans 5 8 but god demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still dirty disgusting rotten sinners christ died for us and i love that and I we have a, another couple in our life that talk to us about loving the worst part of your spouse. And I think when we can do that, it's, it's so much easier to love the good parts. But to remember um, that Don has loved me in my worst parts when I'm ugly or angry or frustrated. Don continues to love me and extend grace to me. And that's a huge part of holding a marriage together is when you love each other through the hardest and the worst parts. I think another thing that um, as we talk about the lens of marriage and what we bring into it, in addition to expectations, is comparison. And I think um, you may have heard this, but comparison is the thief of all joy. And it is the truth. You cannot compare your marriage or your spouse to anyone else. You cannot compare your life circumstances to anyone else. 
it's different because we talked about when we look up to a marriage hero, right? It almost seems like we're comparing, but it's not. We're not comparing. We're looking to someone that's older and wiser. But when you begin to turn your head and compare to what the culture says is right or good or to what you saw, um, when you compare, it will steal your joy. It is so important that your marriage remains you and your spouse in Jesus only. And we only compare to what the word of God says and what Christ has for us. And I think it's so easy in our culture, including as parents, and I'll just mention one funny hot topic, education. Education is a hot topic for a lot of parents and how they educate their children. And that is a decision between a husband and a wife and Jesus. What God has called your family to do may not be what he's called another family to do. And, it, and the same is true in marriage. What God is placing on your heart or your life as convictions or a desire to, to do this thing or not do this thing, you have to be so secure in what God has asked of you to do and not look to others and compare to what God has asked of them because it will steal your joy and it will harm your marriage. Tell your homeschooling story when you started homeschooling the kids. Yes. Uh, which one? What part? There's so many. The one. The one. Yeah, but we don't want to use names. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. So I schooled my kids in all the ways. Some were public school, charter school. I homeschooled, and then we did online school. So, yes. So when I made a decision to homeschool two of our youngest kids, I had another mom approach me in church, and she was ecstatic static over the moon and basically told me that I was now following the way that Jesus would want me to follow. And I was like, oh, really? Because I literally thought that I was following what God had called me to do just yesterday when my kids were in public school. So it is so care, so uh, we have to be so careful that the decisions we make in our marriage are really between us and the Lord and what he has called us to do and not compare because that was extremely hurtful what she said to me and what God had asked of me and my children and that Don and I prayed about was clearly different than what God asked of them. So, yeah. Um, we want to talk and have you participate a little bit with this as we just continue this lens of marriage and expectations and comparisons and things that can be super troublesome to your marriage. Um, t if you could just throw out some things as we think about the what we brought to marriage, what, what is some baggage that you bring into marriage with you? Have you ever thought about that? Like, yes, you have your suitcase. Yes, you're moving in together. But what are some of the, what's baggage that you bring into a marriage as a couple? You can just throw some things out there. Oh, that's a good one. Who said that? Yes. Emotional habits. That's so good. Yes. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's right. Right, our parents were the worst, weren't they? <laughs> <coughs> but we're going to be great. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah. What are some other things, baggage that you brought into marriage that maybe you didn't even know you were bringing into marriage? Divorce. Maybe some of you were divorced before. That's a baggage that you would have brought in. Abuse, that's a, I was a victim of um, abuse as a child. I brought that into marriage. I was sexually abused by a parent. And I, that was baggage I brought in that I didn't even know I had. Sin, past sin, past relationships. Um, physical health can be things that we bring into marriage, a baggage that we bring in if a, one spouse or another has um, health challenges. Mental health challenges. Um, family. Family is baggage we bring into marriage, isn't it? Yes. I know. We all have family. And they can be, they can be difficult to navigate in your marriage. Um, debt. A lot of people come into marriage with debt, whether it be student loans, whether it be personal debt, but that's baggage. Yeah. Okay. What's baggage we pick up along the way? Yes. <laughs> Number one on my list. <laughs> That's right. Survey says. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Kids are baggage we pick up along the way. What are some others? Yes. Yep. That's right. Careers and career changes. And yep. Uh, yeah. 
we picked up a parent along the way. Yep. <laughs> so we picked up kids and a parent. Anyone else in here have a parent that lives with them? Yeah. yeah. Nobody's I, like, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, me, 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 it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. What, are so, what is some other baggage that you've picked up along the way? Addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Health issues. Yeah. Grief. Mm. Loss. Yeah. Yeah. Affairs. Mm. That's trust. Not just physical affairs, but emotional affairs. Mm. Common today as well. Yeah. What about debt? Sometimes we pick up debt mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. One of the things that I um, really... I, I, I want to just speak maybe to the men. So ladies, you can just uh, listen to this and then use it against your husband later. Um, it, it's this obsession in our culture with hobbies to the point of uh, their idols for many of us as men. And we look forward to spending time with our hobbies more than we want to spend time with our spouse, or with our kids, uh, serving in the church, serving in our community. Um, I had this great privilege to serve the Lord in the mountains of Colorado. We lived in a small mountain town, 7,500 feet, and much like this area, so many outdoors things to do. I mean, just all year round, skiing, fishing, hunting, biking, and it was incredible for me to watch men neglect their families um, and justify it by going, well, I'm working all week, I need this. And it's like, yes, you're working all week. Your family needs you. And so I would encourage you. I would caution you. I would even lovingly rebuke you if hobbies are an idol for you. And uh, if they're what you think about more than your wife and your kids. And so it's definitely baggage that we bring into marriage. And it's baggage that we can have as we are in marriage. And it can become a real significant source of bitterness between a husband and a wife. Genesis is clear at the very beginning, even before sin, a a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. The two should become one. And that that is a relationship, like we talked about last night, that Satan was very quick to attack and has continued to attack throughout all of human history. And you are no different. And so we want to caution you, we want to even encourage you to, to, to share those things lovingly and gently with each other uh, and, and just be aware of them as you continue to walk through your marriage. Yeah, and as we talk about how do you pri- prioritize the baggage in your life, the baggage you brought into marriage, and it looks like some of you have been married a long time, so maybe the baggage that you brought into marriage, is in a, it's in the distant past, right? Like, you're not necessarily dealing with the baggage you brought in. You're dealing with the baggage that you've picked up along the way, whatever that looks like. That's probably maybe on the forefront of your marriage right now. So how do you prioritize the baggage that you have in your life? And so I want to ask you a question, and... I want you to participate with me. It's an idea of a first circle. And maybe you've heard that term of your first circle. So who is in your first circle? Have you heard this? Like, if you start out here, like maybe acquaintances, and then maybe your church family, and then there's like people that are closer, like these circles in our life, right? Like we all have it, and our circles go out to just people around us. So there's this first circle that's around you. And so who's in your first circle? Okay, so we went to counseling last year, and um, our counselor asked us this question. We, d- we don't have to share everything. And like, <laughs> Don and I were not in the same counseling session, and he asked us separately, and neither of us got it right for like a good bit of time. Like he kept saying, no, 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 and we're like, what, am, what is the right answer? What's the right answer? And you guys just like blow it up like... <laughs> Out the gate. Well, we kept saying, you know, Jesus and 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 my wife, or Jesus and the kids, or Jesus and and he was really trying to uh, whittle us down to just go. It's just you and Jesus. Yes. Because he is the only one yeah. that will ever ne- leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. 
And that's right. And I think when we began to think about the baggage that we have in our life, um, what it, maybe still the lens you're looking at other people's marriages at and going, I wish our marriage looked like that, or I wish we had the Hallmark marriage, or I wish I had all the ooey-gooey feelings inside about my spouse, or I wish this, or I wish that. And as you bring that into the first circle of your life, what does that look like? And if Jesus is the only person every day you wake up going, I'm going to please Jesus today. I'm going to walk with Jesus today. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus today. How would that impact your relationship with your mate? If your mind is set on Jesus every day and you were intentional, like you go away from here today as a takeaway and say, I'm going to be intentional about my first circle and I'm going to prioritize the things in my life. And then think about the baggage. Maybe take some time with your mate to talk about those things and say, how do we prioritize that in our life so that Jesus is first and my mate is second and then my kids and then all the other things like then my mom and then my house and then our jobs and then our careers and then my church family or whatever God is asking you, how do you prioritize the things in your life, the hurts, the struggles, the sin issues, the mental health issues, the physical health issues, how do you prioritize those things when you intentionally make an effort to put Jesus first and keep him in the first circle? Yeah, and I think that if you are currently having struggles in your marriage, if, if things are difficult, if there is a tension, um, my guess is that the issue is probably not what you think it is. It is most likely not your spouse. It's, it's a blame culture that we live in right now. We, no one wants to take responsibility for anything or anyone. It's everybody else's fault. It's this person's fault. It's the government's fault. It's whatever. And I think if you slowed down and said, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to fix my spouse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become more intimate in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I had such a great privilege as I was walking through the dark days of grief, watch Susan really just dive in deep with Jesus and fall more and more madly in love with Jesus. And I was like, wow, what an example that was. And it caused me to, to, to be like, okay, I, I, I need to do that. I need to follow that example. And we had a lot of tension because one of the things that will bring tension into a, into a marriage is when you have prodigal children. Because you both feel like if you've experienced this, you know, you feel like I need to do something. My perspective on it was a little different than Susan's perspective on it. And we kept bumping heads. And it wasn't until I decided, you know what, I need to take this struggle to Jesus that I was able to, you know, kind of come back into balance with my spouse. So. A scripture, I think that is um, just a wonderful, as you think about this, is James 4, 8, which says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's a promise. That, that's true truth. You can bank your life on that. And the scripture, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And we hear these verses our whole life and then we forget. They're rich. They are rich for our life. They're true truth today. So if you make an effort to draw near to God, he will be faithful and draw near to you. And yeah. So talking about baggage as we kind of wrap up this, this, this idea of, um, you know, because you're, you're going to walk in marriage with your spouse and you're going to see things, you're going to see dark things, you're going to see difficult things. And I want to share a story from early on when uh, Susan and I first got married we were uh, living in Chicago. I was attending Moody Bible Institute. And, you know, I was going to be a pastor. And I had some real character issues, uh, significant character issues. And Susan would often work late, and I would go to Blockbuster. You guys remember Blockbuster? You know? And they didn't have, like, full-on pornos there, but they had a little bit of softcore. And I'm like, I, I got into that. And Susan came home one day, and we were just sitting talking on the couch. And underneath the couch, the Blockbuster video cassette fell over, caught. And I got to watch 
the most loving example of grace and mercy and gentleness that I've ever watched. She never used it against me. She never brings it up. In fact, as we were preparing for the marriage retreat, I shared the story. I said, I, want, I feel like the Lord wants me to share this story. I don't want to share this story, but I feel like the Lord wants me to share the story. And she's like, I've forgotten that it happened. And I'm like, shoot, I should just forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have to worry because uh, w one thing about uh, my incredible wife is she lets the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to do that with your spouse. It does, it's not often helpful, beneficial, profitable to nag your spouse. No one likes being told the weaknesses by the person that they're most intimate with. Nor do they like to be reminded about it time and time again. If you are privileged to be in a Christian marriage, you both have the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's designed to do. Cry out to God on behalf of your spouse. You see, you see a weakness. You see a struggle. Cry out to the Spirit of God. Says the Spirit, would you work on my husband or on my wife? Would you open their eyes to this? Would you help them with their tone or or their behavior and? And if there is a time where, where you feel like, uh, after seeking wise counsel and praying, that you need and you feel that you are supposed to speak to your spouse about an issue, can I remind you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh, flesh with its passions and desires. In any setting as a Christian, if you confront and there isn't kindness, it's not of the Lord. So don't expect the Lord to bless it or don't expect the Lord to change the situation. And I think of that as a pastor for 25 years. Chris and I were talking about this this morning and just how many times in my passion, especially when I was younger, like, I, like this, I'm convinced this is the way to go. And I said unkind things. And I wasn't very loving. And I pushed my agenda through. And you know what? I probably was right, but I didn't get it right. The Lord will always be honored. If when you approach a friend or a spouse or a church meeting or anything and you have love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love how it ends. There's no law against these things. No one has ever been arrested for these things. Something that... God has really convicted me about over the last year is we have wrestled just through the tension, not only of losing a son, but having a prodigal. And again, it, it brought so much um, tension in our marriage as we wanted to parent out of it so very differently. And you often find that in marriages. Like God gave us different hearts and different roles. Like God created men and women differently. We feel differently. We respond differently. But when you're like in the vice grip and you're both responding differently to the same scenario, it can create tension in your marriage. And I think what happened um, to me that God made me super aware of is I would find myself being really irritated at dawn. And then I would stew on that irritation. And then I would have another irritation. And then I would stew on that. And then all of a sudden it was everything like he's clearing his throat too many times and I'm so annoyed, right? <coughs> like, it, it, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I suspect there may be something like, I don't like the way he chews or he's stomping in my house. It becomes, ri it becomes ridiculous. No, I'm not saying those You're are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but do you see like, one tiny thing becomes a spiral and it became a spiral in my own head and it and then as we're trying to navigate difficult things in my life in my head I have already become so 
beyond irritated at my husband and everything he does that I can't even step into a conversation without like he's wrong and he's he doesn't know what he's talking like just the anger and the irritation that I fed I fed it so I know I'll, it's not true of everyone but and it's not true of us because we work together 24 7 we have two small businesses we are never apart from one another so you want to talk about that impacting your marriage let's let's not only have all sorts of crazy things in your life let's lose a kid let's have a mom with dementia live with you let's have a prodigal and a divorced child what else what else do we have like we have ridiculous things in our life oh let's have two businesses and work together 24 7 yes I, you're so my best friend. But we live in tension, right? So often husbands go to work. So if a wife is left home and there's children, but she l starts her day with that irritation and it builds all day long because she's feeding it all day long, all day long, eight to five, whenever that husband walks back in the door, he doesn't even know he did anything wrong. And you are madder than a hornet when he walks in the door and you snap his head off. He doesn't even know what he did that morning. Maybe he didn't pick up his socks. And then you've started down the train of, he never picks up his socks. He never puts his laundry away. He never does this. Oh, and I hate the way he chews. So all day long, you have fed the beast inside of your head, right? It happens. And so then your husband comes home and there's tension that didn't need to be there. Because you fed, I would feed my sin all day long. And God convicted me of that to take every thought captive. You can break it. You can break it that fast. When that thought of I'm irritated by his socks, you take that thought captive and you go, God, thank you so much that you gave me a husband. Thank you that I have a husband living before me that is a good partner, that is a helpmate. And you set your mind on things above. Go to the word. Pray for your spouse immediately. Don't wait. Jesus is the only non-distraction in your life. Think about that. Jesus is the only non-distraction in your life. You can stop at any moment, in any place, it is not a distraction. It's not going to take you off course. Stop. Take that thought captive. Set your mind on things above and pray for your spouse. Um, yeah, that's something that I just, months ago when we began praying for this retreat, that's something God had been working on me, and I just felt very compelled to share, um, especially with wives who are often home. And the same is true for our children. If you have children, it's so easy how our minds spiral out of control unnecessarily. And that you have the ability, you can stop it uh, by taking those thoughts captive and choosing to think differently. Yeah, the negative cycle can, and, and it can even be contagious, and a husband and wife, they can kind of spiral down together. So I want to close our time uh, this morning and ask you to turn to John 13. Just going to conclude with um, really a, a passage that I've looked to to guide my marriage. Um, and, and other marriages, and I've counseled from this passage for 25 years. So John 13, it's a familiar scene. Um, it's so familiar that I, I feel like when I read the story, I can, I can see it, I can feel it. Um, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the, this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <laughs> that should get our attention. What is he going to do to love them to the end? During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper and beat the crap out of Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Taking off his outer garment, he choked Peter <laughs> because Peter was about to betray him and deny him. And he slapped all them other stinking disciples except for John because John hung around. 
That's not what our Savior did. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He did the job of the lowliest servant in the household. God did. Our Savior did. That is the example we should follow in every relationship we have. And besides our relationship with Jesus, if you're married, the most important relationship you have is the relationship with your spouse. So what did Jesus do? I, I see he does two things, right? Because what I'm not saying is go home and wash your spouse's feet. I mean, that's your thing? Great. Wash their feet. But what is he saying? What is he doing by doing this? Well, he's saying no matter what, serve. When they don't deserve it, serve. When they're going to run away, sell you out, and deny you, and you know it's going to happen, and Jesus knew. He washed Judas's feet. We serve as Christians. That's what we do. And we forgive. He forgave before they even had a chance to wrong him. I love our Savior. I need my Savior. And I want to be like my Savior. So the number one place to do that and to start with that is not with your kids, is not in your church, is not at work. It's with your spouse. And start there and let it spread outwardly. And by the way, you forgive, and some of you are probably in your marriage right now holding on to something that is destroying your relationship. You need to give that to Jesus. And some of you aren't serving because of that hurt. I'm not saying or belittling that hurt. I'm just saying you need to follow the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I, in this moment, I'm just so humbled by the example of Jesus. I, I think that the incredible bigness of God is <laughs> so beautifully small and simple in this upper room moment. The example is and should change the world and has changed the world. So God, I'm just asking that every marriage in this room this morning, God, that you would protect it, that you would bless it, that the, the issues of sin that are hidden under the couch would be revealed, and then grace would be administered. That hurt and brokenness and separation would be brought together because Christ is at the center. And so God, help us to, to serve and to love and forgive this person that you've brought into our life, this precious gift. God, we love you. We love you so much. Raise our faces. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you until you come back or until you take us home. Amen.